Welcome to the Nonprofit Newsfeed, nonprofitnewsfeed.com, bringing you the best news from the best sector, news from a nonprofit perspective and what matters. This show brought to you by Whole Whale, a B Corp digital agency. Thanks for joining us. This week on the Nonprofit Newsfeed, it's Giving Tuesday, and we're actually recording this on November 28th, Giving Tuesday. I'm excited about this because it kicks off the giving season. Note I said kicked off. This is in addition to, not instead of, all of those appeals that are going out, hoping your Giving Tuesday is going well. We'll cover a little bit more on that. We're talking about a massive donation from Warren Buffett. Uh, we'll follow up to OpenAI. That story developed quickly and a story of a major donor suing for their donation back. And Nick, bring us into it. Hi, George. Great to see you again. Happy Giving Tuesday. As always, this is my fourth Giving Tuesday doing the podcast with you. So really excited, like you said, kicking off the season of giving, the beginning of that time of year when we celebrate the holidays, celebrate each other, and also give back to people who we need it and to causes we care about. So the Associated Press, I thought, framed Giving Tuesday in a really interesting way, spotlighting the importance of Giving Tuesday as an indicator for the health of the nonprofit sector as a whole. So as I'm sure virtually everybody listening to this podcast knows, Giving Tuesday began as a hashtag in 2012, in some ways kicked off by the 92nd Street Y, which as of recording- I mean, in all ways, it literally was a baby (laughs) of the 92nd Street Y, but they gave generously of the, the idea and ability for others to run with it. And if you want something to grow, you make it bigger than yourself and you relinquish that ownership and willingness to tag your name on it. So shout out to the to the why, of course. Hey. Shout out to the why. And as I record this, I am a mere five blocks away. So we love the 92nd Street uh, Y to be specific. Like <laughs> the 92nd Street Y, yes, on East 92nd Street in Manhattan. But like you said, this initiative began in 2012, and it's a major fundraising event for nonprofits, um, a major tentpole marketing and fundraising day of giving for organizations, and marks the beginning of the end of the year, which some nonprofits see substantial portions of their fundraising revenue coming in. The Associated Press notes that organizations like Fidelity Fidelity Charitable are optimistic about end-of-year donations amidst better economic indicators, wages, employment, that sort of thing. But contrast that with the National Council of Nonprofits' concerns over falling support and trends in donations over the past couple of years precipitated by those negative economic indicators. Here at Whole Whale, we predict that approximately $3.45 billion will be generated in donation revenue. That is based on both historical trends overlapping with Google search trends to this year, which, George, I'll let you speak more about that. But in addition, we're also watching things like how non-traditional forms of giving via crypto donations and other forms of giving a trend this year. So, George, there's a lot of eyes on the nonprofit industry to see how it has potentially rebounded from last year, how kind of murky and uncertain economic conditions that are quite abnormal could contribute to giving this year. What are you most looking at in analyzing Giving Tuesday this year? I look at a few different things when we do create these uh, projections, you know, the, the macroeconomic conditions of, you know, how is the overall economy doing? How is GDP doing? Because classically, 
that is a 2% of GDP that maps to giving. Now, last year, we fell off of that to like 1.9%, which may seem small, but you know, when you're talking about trillions of dollars, <laughs> 0.1 makes a difference. And that's what you're referring to. You're referring to the drop last year in, in overall giving, which is pretty rare. So this year, I was seeing, you know, one, market conditions improving. And so like part of that is psychological, like in like all honesty, but it does, it does in fact matter in that, in that trend, November is, you know, showing very much growth in the overall market, but more importantly, in the nonprofit sector, I was, you know, looking at Google trends and saying like, what is the aggregate interest in giving Tuesday? How many nonprofits seem to be participating? Because it's also a function of how many organizations are actively promoting this and pushing this out in addition to the overall search for the topic of of giving tuesday now the topic searches for giving tuesday are lagging behind last year but i think the participation that i am am seeing is in fact on track i'd hope for us to hit those record numbers of 3.45 billion and just to put in context last year 3.1 billion was given in 2022 in 2021 2.7 billion was given and that was a 13% increase of the previous year. And in 2020, we saw 2.4 billion. So there's been this sort of steady increase from 2.4 to 2.7 to 3.1 and throwing around 22 to as low as 13% in terms of our year over year growth rate. Uh, clearly, big numbers are harder to grow by percentages. So it would be uh, a little inaccurate to assume that you would grow at the same percentage as you as you get larger. Uh, but all of this hopefully combines into a good kickoff, as I said at the beginning, kickoff of giving season and that the the generosity continues and we can move away from the trend of last year, which was a net decrease in giving. Obviously, also inflation stabilizing will will help this as well. Fed rates, there's a lot involved, but in your backyard, what I'm also hoping for and I will be pushing out in the days to come is how you're thanking, how you're thanking the donors that you have had and that you are meeting for the first time with strategies like thank for or more in your messaging. Like how does that automation build into, all right, I'm going to thank them immediately. I'm going to thank them in two weeks for what they did. And by the way, we're going to thank them in six months when we give them an update on how their money has worked to help the causes and stakeholders involved based on their donation. So really plan that out, plan that out now, because all of that can be programmed in automatically to your communication systems and CRMs and donation platforms. Absolutely. Definitely agree. We'll see how Giving Tuesday progresses. And we'll keep an eye on that number and look forward to seeing the, the tally. But second, the idea of thanking your donors never been so important. All right, I can take us into our next story. And this one comes from CNN. And that is that Warren Buffett has donated $870 million to charity ahead of Thanksgiving. Um, now, just a couple of days after Thanksgiving. So billionaire Warren Buffett leads the, the, the ginormous company Berkshire Hathaway and has donated approximately $870 million in Berkshire Hathaway shares to four family-run foundations, continuing his annual philanthropic tradition. Um, so this donation echoes a similar type donation that was made last year uh, and as part of Buffett's longstanding commitment against dynastic wealth and in support of societal benefits through capitalism. 
Buffett, I didn't know this, is 93, uh, but is still in charge of running Berkshire Hathaway, which has been doing a killing in the market. So George, we don't usually talk about donations, but I mean, just shy of a billion dollars, that's a, that's not a, a small check. donation. A that's, check. that's a big check. Yeah, I think there's also the line in here that his, you know, longstanding commitment against dynastic wealth in support of societal benefits is very interesting because he is such, you know, he's the Omaha Oracle. He is someone people revere in many capitalist circles, but overall, what he will hopefully make at the end of his career here known is that giving is an end goal for a lot of this wealth rather than passing on something that, you know, is tucked away inside of one family forever. It is a very different approach to wealth building and wealth distribution and one that hopefully spreads as we look at the largest consolidation of wealth in history <laughs> for the for the 1% and watching, you know, this check actually get sent, you know, note this is not sent into a DAF. This is sent into operation as I understand it from from this reporting. So a great example of giving. Back in my mind, I was like, you couldn't have done it on Giving Tuesday. <laughs> Just added to the added to the number. But that's the point too, right? Like these gifts are are happening in the you know fourth quarter specifically, usually in uh, end of November and December, December being the largest month of giving across all platforms, usually showing this. Absolutely, George. I think that that's a great point. Um, <laughs> it'd be interesting to see if stuff like this gets gets tallied. I I, I don't think it, it does necessarily, but I'll I'll tally <laughs> if funny. my number is off. How about that? <laughs> okay, okay. Like, we can oh, we can. What are we off by? Point uh, eight seven. Here we go. Yeah. No, for sure. A little a little Buffett money never hurt anybody. All right, George, we have to follow up on what we talked about last week, and that is OpenAI. Uh, as we discussed at length, underwent a significant change in its board composition following the dramatics of two weeks ago, uh, which marked a tumultuous period with the ouster hiring of Sam Altman by Microsoft and then rehiring of Sam Altman by OpenAI. Um, but the dust does appear to have settled with some notable board changes. So as we mentioned, CEO Sam Altman has been reinstated as the CEO of OpenAI, but led to the dismissal of three board members. Remember, nonprofit board members, um, Ilya Sutskever, Tasha McCauley, and Helen Toner. The latter two were the only women on the board. Their departure was a consequence of a failed board coup, some are saying, against Altman. In their place, Brett Taylor and Wait for it. Larry Summers have been appointed. Listen, this is some observers are saying this is kind of not great, right? Now, instead of a board that potentially overstepped, right, in their own interest, potentially saw something they didn't like, philosophical, ideological disagreements, tried to do something about it, and have actually weakened themselves in the process, the board is now less diverse. It is all men. And I think, George, there's now a prevailing just kind of, I think what this drama has highlighted is that as of now, AI governance is being governed and decisions that are impacting these the day-to-day -day of this technology 
are being made by a very, very small number of people with limited accountability. And I think that this saga underscores that. And I think there's a, there's a lot of vulnerability right now for what these tools can, should, and maybe shouldn't do in the future when it comes to how we do, make decisions about AI. Last week, it was interesting because we were talking about how a nonprofit board fired a for-profit-minded CEO. Clearly, there is a relationship there. And the, the truth here is in this governance structure that was just tested, and we saw the net result, is that the battle between what may be best for the shareholders won out over what might be best for the stakeholders of people that are going to be impacted by AI. Put another way, when push came to shove, the folks that were interested in the safety elements of this platform lost. Now, I think there's ways that you can parse and move inside of here, but as you mentioned, at a high level, the diversity of this board dramatically changed, both from a you know gender side, but also from an ideological side, which is as important to me as well here, because you now have a board controlled by the agenda of Sam Altman with very few voices that are probably not pushing back on, you know, should we do this versus we will do this. Interestingly, in in the chaos, <laughs> in the absolute chaos that was unfolding as they got rid of Sam Altman on, on that Friday and, you know, a week later reinstated, there were talks with the CEO of Anthropic, rival LLM, large language model, Anthropic.com, great tool as well. There were talks with their CEO to come aboard, which would have required the acquisition of OpenAI by Anthropic. So pause for a second and consider that when this board that was more, we'll call them altruistically minded in the safe progression of AI, was asked to look around the field, who did they choose? I have also really respected how the recent updates from Claude, which is the AI developed by Anthropic, have been sort of following to reduce hallucination to increase context windows and responsible use of their tool. They are also, according to their policies, HIPAA compliant. One of the reasons why we like using their API and a lot of the chats we build inside of CauseWriter. And, you know, ultimately, clearly that deal didn't go through, but that is a big nod to the value of also looking at different chat platforms as you build your AI strategy and how you're diversifying and not maybe just throwing in with the open AI answer here. But, you know, when we talk about liking nonprofit governance over very powerful technology, the truth is that profits play in quite a bit. And when that battle comes and it's not artfully done, you know, when you come at the king, you best not miss. And unfortunately, I don't think this board had the support necessary. Like the fact that you had, you know, 500 people of the staff, a large number of staff saying, we're going to straight up resign because you're not representing what we want to happen here. You know, the board has the most important job, which is hiring, firing the CEO. But they're, I think, you know, accountable to the people that they are looking after in the organization. And, you know, they didn't have that support, which would have undermined it, as you said, the, the entire purpose of controlling the responsible building of, of this technology. So 
unfortunately, you know, they lost the battle and more importantly, the war and the way they went about it. The process matters. Yeah, George, I think that's exactly right. Process matters. And as not just boards and corporate governance or nonprofit via corporate governance gets discussed, I think that if you're paying attention to the space, you're also looking at what actual governments are thinking and doing. We talked a couple of weeks ago about a Biden administration executive order, which didn't do much, but essentially outlined what the White House is thinking needs to come next when it comes to using AI safely. Uh, you've seen strong movement from EU regulators on understanding AI and kind of creating guardrails around it. So that is interesting. But as with everything tech, government response and regulation comes after in response. It is a very delayed, sometimes infinitely delayed response to yeah. how the tech industry decides to govern itself. So before the US government has a comprehensive AI governance strategy, these are the people making the decisions. Yeah, and so, right now, just like quietly happening in all of this, uh, I've been following pretty closely the, the Sarah Silverman suit about copyright infringement of her work, um, a published book that got ingested by the Llama 2 model that Meta owns. And the judge essentially said that it is not in violation, meaning that you know, Lama 2 can carry on and owes no recompense to authors, including not limited to Sarah Silverman. So like the, the policy is being written, to be clear, but it's being written in the courts for better or worse. Very interesting also for like looking forward to anybody else who's going to be going because now you have a bit of a precedent being like, basically, when text is ingested, sent through a neural net and synthesized into an LLM that can mimic the style, it is not verbatim pulling that information, thus in violation of a copyright. They're talking about the fact that like, you can't get Llama 2 to perfectly reproduce her, you know, her book. And you're like, no, it won't, because like LLMs don't perfectly recall things, right? They're a probabilistic engine that are generating things based on its data set. So it is a step in big step, maybe, for establishing how LLMs have ingested the entire web's content and much more, and are now generating content that we, both the royal and, and personal we, uh, have created. And so now these seem to be the rules we're playing by. There's a lot to unpack there, George. <laughs> but... Listen, uh, that this, I think it's so important that we talk about it because it centers so many things that nonprofits, particularly nonprofits that work and touch technology, need to think about, right? You're a, a civil rights, social justice activism nonprofit. Um, what, what does that technology mean for your constituents? What does it mean for activists? What does it mean for... Uh, you know, people on the ground. And, and George, like you say, so many nonprofit staff are using these tools. Um, and it begs the question, what does ethical AI use mean for your organization? So I want people listening to contextualize these conversations into, okay, we're seeing the big picture. We're seeing all these fights play out. What does that mean for the day-to-day -day of my organization? Um, why should we be approaching these tools one way or another, right? And George, our essential use here at Whole Whale, we have a published AI use policy, which uh, is great, but also 
our kind of axiom here is uh, first draft, not final draft. Use AI to help things, but always review it, always understand, always filter out for bias, harmful language, et cetera. Um, and I think that that's an important, an important conversation, right? But AI is coming to every aspect of our life. It's healthcare, it's media and entertainment, um, it's how social media works, and uh, nonprofits can't be caught backfooted. Um, so centering the actual day-to-day -day of nonprofits is what, if you're listening to this podcast, this applies to. And speaking of governance, I want to take us into our next story. This one comes from news organization, The Baltimore Banner, and a major donor is suing the One, La One Love Foundation, uh, claiming allegedly that the Baltimore-based nonprofit, which has educated 2 million young people about relationship uh, violence, has, again, allegedly breached an agreement um, and is in, quote, disarray due to the actions of one of its founders. Um, the lawsuit asserts that Sharon Love, who created One Love after her daughter, uh, University of Virginia senior Yardley Love, was killed by an ex-boyfriend in 2010, fought against One Love's, quote, outreach to LGBTQ and minority communities, and then subsequently threatened to fire board members who disagreed with her, prompting nearly all board members and the organization's CEO to resign earlier this year. Um, again, this is via in, in, in allegations um, only. However, George, I think it brings interesting questions into what happens when a donor um, stipulates uh, a certain donation um, and what happens when, in this case, again, based on this suit, uh, an organization fails to, to follow through um, on pretty significant grounds what a donor stipulates. Um, and I think it brings up some interesting questions. Yeah, I mean, this is a $1 million gift from the Glock Foundation now being questioned based on the, the stipulation of uh, leadership that is, you know, can be part of a lot of these grants. So, you know, I think it seems to be, like you said, in your transition, another story of the board, of where your board fits into running an organization. And unfortunately, when things go to extremes, you end up with the board needing to take action um, one way or another. And here's another case where an entire board is uh, shifted and, and changed. And now, you know, there's, uh, you know, unfortunate litigation involved instead of helping a cause that, you know, certainly needs it when we're talking about relationship, uh, relationship health and relationship violence out there. So, uh, you know, a note to those board members, uh, a lot of important work uh, in guiding an organization and hopefully managing it before you get to these points. Absolutely, George. I think that's a great way to frame it. But how about a feel-good story? What do we got? This one comes from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, um, which I learned back in the 2020 election does amazing uh, reporting down from Atlanta um, and all our favorite counties that report days after the election that were glued to watching uh, certain news personalities read out like vote by vote. But anyway, uh, Atlanta nonprofits have teamed up to deliver Thanksgiving meals and feed over 1,000 people. So early Thanksgiving morning, as finishing touches were made to Thanksgiving dinner, dozens of volunteers um, with uh, this organization began to file into the headquarters of that Atlanta nonprofit to help feed hundreds in need. Um, so many organizations mobilize around Thanksgiving and holidays um, and provide incredible meals that are 
genuinely meaningful to people um, who need or want them. Um, I remember participating through my church uh, with a bunch of such meals around the holidays when I was a kid, and it makes a real difference um, to, to people to, to see, to be seen, right? Um, it, it's not just a meal. Uh, it's a sense of providing dignity to people um, who need it, um, people who sometimes feel forgotten, um, and people who extending a hand or being served a meal um, can provide uh, the boost and dignity that they need uh, to make it through another year. Of course, need is a 24-7 thing. It's not just during the holidays. Um, so I want to highlight that as well. But um, I think stories like this really do make a difference. Thanks, Nick. And I also love all of those articles, you know, pouring through over the holidays of volunteers uh, going into the communities and then hopefully translating into donations being made, even on Giving, and especially on Giving Tuesday. And with that, I do have a question for you, Nick. You ready? I'm ready. Uh, so this is more of like a data question, but, you know, what, what cities give the most on Giving Tuesday? Statistically speaking. Oh, George, I, I don't know. What cities do give the most on Giving Tuesday? Genera cities. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, really, it's better in right. text. But I right, will have right, words I below me. I see Genera it. cities. <laughs> I, 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 hear, I hear you, George. I hear you. <laughs> All right, Nick. Looking forward to seeing the numbers come out of Giving Tuesday. Thanks as always. Thanks, George. This has been the Nonprofit News Feed Summary of the Week. Thanks for joining us. As always, you can find resources at nonprofitnewsfeed.com. And don't forget to sign up for our weekly email summaries of the best news from the best sector.